Uh, this is, uh, we kind of started a new rhythm this week, or last week, I guess, um, with Kenny started last week and Tom this week, and leading us to kind of make giving a part of, of the middle of our set of songs as part of our act of worship. And uh, I don't know about you, but I gave uh, this morning on my phone, we have a way you can text in, you just text a number, and uh, it confirms just in case you made a typo, and then uh, you can just reply with the wire in, and it's just a blessing. I, I just wanted to share that. It was, it was really cool to just look down and be able to do that right then in the middle of that, um, because I, I know I, for one, um, I'm sure it doesn't show much physically, but I love singing to Jesus. Um, I'm pretty subtle about it. I, but um, I hope that, that as you guys are singing, as you join us in song, that you're singing thoughtfully. Like when I, uh, the last song that we just sang, John, can you go back to um, the no eye has seen, no ear has heard slide there in that, that last song? Just as I was singing this, and in light of what we're going to talk about this morning, which is spiritual warfare and hard things happening in life as you walk with Jesus, I just I thought of this passage and the struggle even that I've had this week to realize the love of God, to even in moments believe that God is real at all and that He has any strength and power for my life. And, and when we sing these verses like this, it reminds me that in those moments, it is not God who has failed me, but it's, it's my heart that needs lifted up again, my eyes that need lifted to the beauty of how wonderful He is again. And so I hope that as we're singing, you're singing thoughtfully, and, and that words like these, the depths of your love, Lord, no mind can fathom the love you deserve. No, no eye has seen, no ear has heard the depths of your love. And so it's, it's not that his love is not deep enough. It's that our eyes have not seen clear enough. Our ears have not heard distinctly enough. And yet one day we will see him and hear him as he is, and he'll make all things new. Right? I love worshiping Jesus with you, the people of God. And so we're going to continue in worship by diving into Nehemiah 6. If you need a Bible, you can grab one up off this front table, uh, the book of Nehemiah. Whoever finds it first in one of these Bibles, tell us what page it's on. Somebody? Anybody? Come on. I can't find it if you don't tell me. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, right? Sweet. Now we all know. 345 is the, the page we're on in Nehemiah chapter 6 in this Bible. Uh, uh, this is the English Standard Version. It's one of the latest uh, in like, terms of real like, deep scholarship and uh, pretty literal word-for-word translation of the Bible. This is what I'll be kind of reading from today. So we're in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, what's happened so far? For those of you who've been around or maybe you've read Nehemiah on your own a few times, what has happened so far? We're in chapter 6. What's happened so far? What's that? They're building up a wall. Okay, yep. Building up a wall. Where's the wall? Jerusalem. Okay, what else do we know? They had enemies. All right, so we've all, the enemies have already been on the scene. And the enemies didn't want them to build the wall, right? 
Okay, so because there's enemies, they have, are working with a, literally like a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other. They didn't believe it could be done. Their enemies would say that it could not be done. They wanted them to believe that it couldn't be done. Yep, it's on another hand somewhere there. There were problems within their own camp arising. Okay. What's that? Oppressing the poor. It's like, that's not pressing forward. See, my you know, ear has heard what you guys are saying because apparently, yeah. It's, I'll blame it on there. Were, there were clouds yesterday, so that, that's it. I'm just not used to that. Um, Nehemiah 6. Uh, this is, again, I'm going to talk a bit about spiritual warfare today and uh, next week a bit as we, we continue in this chapter and the next chapter. And actually, uh, make plans to be here next week and cancel whatever other plans might get in your way because uh, a member of our community uh, who goes by the name, his rap name, literally, is Words Played, uh, he has, is writing a track to uh, share with us next week that relates to this whole topic. So he said, now I put him on the spot publicly, uh, he said that he would do that for next week. His name's John. Uh, so he's going to be doing that next week. And he's actually talented. Like it's not, yeah, if I got up here and was like, yeah, it's not one of those like the church version of rap. Like it's the real thing. So um, it'll be good. Now he's really under pressure. Under pressure. Um, so let's read the passage. Nehemiah 6. And the heading probably, is, especially if you have one of these Bibles, but if you probably have an ESV, the heading is what? Conspiracy against Nehemiah. I know some of you are conspiracy theorists. This is about a real conspiracy. I won't say anything, Tom. Um, now, when Sambalot and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, so they've completed the work, basically, right? Like, they've, they've built this wall that God had sent them back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall of, of the ruined city of God. And, and it says that they, the enemies heard we had built it, although up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates. Sambalot and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, and let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. Which I love that that's the name of the place that his enemies come. Come to Ono with me, and we'll do this. And it says, But they intended to do me harm. So Nehemiah knew that these were his enemies. They were saying, come on, let meet with us. Let's talk this out. It doesn't even say there exactly what they were saying, but they said, come, let's meet together. And he sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Now, the irony there is he answers them, and saying, I can't stop and come down to the work. And that was like their whole plan, right? Their whole plan was if we get him to come down here, we can stop the work. And he replies with even, I can't even stop to meet with you because this is a greater work that God has called me to. And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. 
In the same way, Sambalot for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. So an open letter. So this wasn't sealed for your eyes only. This was, hey, anybody want to see what I'm accusing Nehemiah of? This is a letter that he hoped the word would get around. He hoped that these rumors that we're about to read about would spread so that the work would stop, so that Nehemiah would be defamed. In it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, I love it. and my buddy says it too, so that makes it true, right? I read it online somewhere, that you and the Jews intend to rebel, which this was a rumor that would spread easily if it were to get out and have any legitimacy because the people of Israel had rebelled. They had conquered other lands all around again and again. So this wasn't that far-fledged that you and the Jews intend to rebel, and that is why you're building the wall. And just so you're, if you're not that familiar with the story, that's not why they're rebuilding the wall. Just kind of yes and no. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king, and you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now, the king will hear these reports. So he's not saying, you know, Sambalot's like, I'm not saying this. It's, I've just heard it from somebody, and my friend said he heard it from somebody too. And I don't want you to get in trouble. The king might hear of this. So come and let us take counsel together. Right? This is a, he's trying to be crafty. Sanballat is trying to be crafty here. And he says, Then I sent to him, Nehemiah sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, Strengthen my hands. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mahatabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. So he goes to visit someone that's called him to come. You know, I need you to come to my house. I need to talk to you about something. And this guy says, let's go to the house of God. Let's go to the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. So this guy called Nehemiah to his house and said, I have a word from God. This is for your good. I have a prophecy. We'll see. He is claiming that this is a prophecy from God. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. Now, earlier in the Bible, there's a story of a guy named Uzziah, who was a king, and he went into the temple improperly. And does anybody know what happened to him? He got leprosy on his forehead. So Nehemiah knows this. He knows that, that it is not okay to use the temple improperly and to go into the holy place and just use it for your own good unless it's very clearly from God. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy, the so-called prophecy, against me because Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him. 
So these, these enemies are just, you know, he says four times earlier. So it's again and again and again and again and again and again and again. All different ways they're trying to come at him. It says, for this purpose he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. So go into the temple improperly and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Have any of you ever faced that when your enemy, whether it's spiritual or even another person, when someone's acting as your enemy, their, their goal isn't so much to get you to do something bad that tears you down, but to get you to do you something just a little bit off so that then they can tell others about you. Remember Tobiah and Sambalot, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So Nehemiah, in the end, what he does at the end of this chapter, or at the end of this passage that we're going to stop there, he says, God, it is up to you. Vengeance is yours. It's not mine to repay. You take care of this, please. So he hands it over to God. So here we are. We're in Jerusalem, probably a bit dusty. The wall is nearly done. The work has been difficult. They've faced many trials along the way. And yet the work is coming to a close on the wall. Even though the enemies of God, the foes of the Jews, had been trying to stop the work all along. And so similarly, by God's will, and we do believe that when you come together to hear the good news of Jesus Christ preached from the Scriptures, that it is God's will that you're here. You're not here because you decided to get up this morning only. You are here because God wanted you to be here and worship with us and hear good news. So like, like God wanted them to go and to build this wall, you are here by God's will, even though the enemy, I'm sure, throughout your life, if not today, this very day, has laid many snares and traps in your path. In fact, before I go forward, I'd like to ask you just to share, what are, what are some of the kinds of, of snares, traps, and barriers you've encountered in your life so far, or maybe even today in trying to get here? It's not a trick question. It can be like very simple things. What kind of things have been in the way as you've sought to live out God's will for your life? Not wanting to get out of bed. Absolutely. What's that? Being overwhelmed with work or all kinds of things with work. Yeah. Fear. Being discouraged. Your own schedule. Yeah, we build our own traps sometimes, right? Impatience. Mm hmm. Marco? What's that? Thorns? Worries. I cannot hear. Not being able to hear well, right? Worries, yeah. Parkour? I give up, so <laughs> no more questions. Appearance? Hearing aids. Hearing aids. My goodness. 
I don't know what happened. Uh, so this weekend we had a Friday night and all day Saturday up through last night. Uh, we had an elder retreat, which an elder is a leader in the church that God has tapped and said, you're it. Uh, this is my flock, and I want you to live among them as an under-shepherd. Jesus is our chief shepherd. He's the senior pastor of this church, and he's tapped four of us so far at this church and said, I've called you to walk among the flock, to live amongst them, to be an example, and to be a leader. And so we had a retreat this weekend, our second annual New City Elder Retreat. Uh, there's an acronym somewhere there, I'm sure, but you guys should come up with one for us. And uh, so we stayed at this nice hotel on the beach, and... Uh, Got to watch the sunset together, hand in hand, as we do. And uh, the picture, we're not holding hands, right? The picture you took? Okay. So we did watch the sunset again this year. It's kind of become our second annual tradition of watching the sunset. And uh, we had a great time, but we, we spoke words of encouragement to one another, and uh, we uh, really dug into asking God, like, what is your will for New City in the coming year? And it was a great time, and we'll be sharing in the coming months that what has kind of come out of that and what we feel like God, uh, I wouldn't even say feel like, what we're very sure God is calling us to. And, uh, but leading up to that, as I mentioned, I've had a, uh, some ups and downs this week. And it actually didn't really occur to me, like the link between like God's under-shepherds in this church getting together this weekend and um, Satan wanting to attack like, there's a, probably a correlation there that this week uh, Satan was wanting to do everything he could as my enemy to destroy my confidence in Christ, to absolutely tear down any shred of joy and hope that I was clinging to. And then there were other moments that were wonderful and, and beautiful. And, uh, but I'm just saying that to say, like, this war is real, and it's present, and it's here, and, and we can no longer, if we have been, ignore it any more than we can attribute everything to Satan. Can we ignore the fact that there's a spiritual war going on today, and it's real? So I'm going to share a little bit about just really our enemy and our God. You know, this passage here, we see the enemy the different tactics of the enemy, and then we see Nehemiah's prayer that really hit me early in the, my process of kind of preparing to preach this was Nehemiah's prayer just jumped out. And he said, oh God. And just picture yourself as Nehemiah in the city of God, understanding this, people even calling you all these different ways, saying these things about you, trying to, trying to discourage you from going forward. But also, being one of God's people, an Israelite, a Jew, and probably very, very familiar with the stories of God's rescue and redemption of His people and His power and His might and the stories of creation and all that had happened by God's hand. So when He says, oh God, there's like a, there's a huge parenthesis when a man of God says, oh God. And that parentheses, that what I mean by, oh God, is all this wonderful and beautiful list of your attributes and your actions for our redemption. Yeah. And so I want to talk about our enemy, but know that that's what's coming after that is, is what God has done and how much better he is than our enemy. So our enemy, our enemy is subtle, persistent, strong, and crafty. 
Nehemiah's enemies were joining in to a cosmic war against the redeemed. A war that began long before they were born. And a war that is led by a fallen angel whose power is real and whose determination is utterly staggering. And these, Nehemiah's enemies, had set their faces and they were out for his destruction. Again, and again, and again, and again, and again they tried to lure him in or to tempt him to sin. So we fast forward to today. Our enemies have joined this war. And no one is immune. Whether you're a member of God's family today or you're just here to check us out, you have an enemy that will not give up. You are in danger. You cannot run and hide from this war. You can ignore it. But then... This war will come upon you while your eyes are closed, your guard is down, and your friends are not there to remind you of what's good and right. And my enemy knows me. And he's either trying to convince me that he does not exist or he is painting the picture that he's all there is and that my God cannot defeat him. And that he will rule me. Satan is prowling around. He is writing open letters that label you a rebel. And he's reading them again and again and again and again to the weakest members of your own heart. He's hoping that you'll buy his lies, hand over the keys to your heart, and collapse in despair. He's looking for someone to devour, anyone to devour. And he's more subtle, more tempting, and more beautiful than a half-naked swimsuit model showing up to your doorstep while you're home alone. Way more subtle, but definitely more tempting. The church is his target, and he will use many tactics. He knows how humans think. He knows what makes us proud. He knows what makes us pout. He knows what makes me steam with anger, and he knows what makes me shut down from discouragement. For Satan, there are no manners, no off-limits words or moments that he will refrain from using. When you're enjoying your life, He'll tempt you to forget the joy of God's presence and God's Word. And then you'll remember again the beauty of the Bible, and you'll go and you'll read it daily, and He'll tempt you to ignore it and deny it in disbelief. And then when you believe the Word, He will try like Sanballat to keep you away from obedience and to fill your speech toward others with anything but grace. And then when you do obey, when you obey God, Satan will praise your glory. 
aiming for you to be puffed up with pride by the extensiveness of your own strengths. But if you fall, which don't we all? When you fall, he is not nearly done with his work. He will use that stumble to bring to mind every single time you've ever failed. His memory is not lacking. Remember that night? That night you did that wicked thing you can't speak of? He'll say. Remember those months? You treated everyone in your life like dirt. Remember those search terms you typed in again and again? Don't you dare forget those obscene, filthy, dehumanizing pictures that you clicked on. He'll say, oh, you've done it now. This time. This time you've gone too far from God. I don't think I've ever met a husband as wickedly sinful and selfish as you. You'll never change, will you? Remember how many years you've been sinning that same way again and again? Yes, remember and weep, he will say. Our enemy is out to pile the massive stones of our sins on our backs. Again and again and again and again. So that I will be overwhelmed by my depravity, sapped of strength by the prevalence of my weakness, dragged to the floor by the weight of my wickedness, and buried so deep beneath my corruption that I can no longer see any light. Because then we might just give up, hope might just flutter away, and I'll withdraw from friends and the family of God because now they seem too happy to be around. Or if not, I'll come back in, guns loaded with rounds of gossip and cold words of bitterness to destroy the bride of Christ. And then, for those of us who have overcome some area of sin, he's out to make us legalists and hypocrites. And he'll use that to tempt our kids the other way that will become selfish, hedonistic, and distant. Starting the cycle all over again and again and again and again, generation after generation tied up in our sin. So the question for us is, what is he tempting you with? What is in the enemy's open letter about you? What is he accusing you of? Even if it's true, 
What is he trying to condemn you with? Even though the gospel tells us there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, what does his letter say you you are beyond that with? What are Satan's tactics in attacking you as you seek to love God and build others up, to do the work that he's called you to do with your hands, as it were, with your life and your will and your volition and everything that you are? I want you to to really think about that for a minute because we're going to When I'm done preaching, we're going to continue in worship by taking communion together. And during that time, I want you to to remember Jesus in response to Satan's temptations to you. In response to the areas where he's trying to bury you beneath your corruption. Maybe there's an area of, of the war against our enemy Maybe, maybe for you, it's just that you forget that there's a war at all. You blame maybe everyone else or even yourself. Maybe you're blaming God for things that are temptations to sin that come from our enemy. Maybe you're just under flat-out spiritual attack that you're absolutely sure is from the enemy and not from anyone else, and you just need prayer and help and encouragement, and you hear, need to hear the good news. I want you to reflect on that. Because our enemy is subtle, he's persistent, he's strong, and he's crafty. But, but the God we cry to is ready, he's present, he's powerful, and he's gracious. We get to say like Nehemiah, oh God, strengthen my hands. And our God hears us and he answers us. When we say, oh God, we, we say, I choose to remember who you are, God. We call out his name, and, and just like you were to say your best friend's or your spouse's name, that name isn't just a title, it means everything that that person is to you. So when we say, oh God, we get to remember everything that God is and the strength that he has in the face of our enemy's attacks. We say right now, oh God, I choose to remember you. How you never forgot your promise to Abraham when Pharaoh had no recollection of Joseph. You turned the enemy's river into a stream of blood. I remember, Lord, how you tore down Egypt's gods with bugs, boils, and fiery hail. How your angel struck down the enemy's sons sleeping under bloodless doors. I remember how hard Pharaoh's heart got. But I also remember, God, how deep the sea buried him. I remember how you redeemed us from our slave masters against their will. So I remember, O God, that you are my strength and you can lift my arms, lift my hands. When we were hungry in the wilderness... You sent down bread from heaven. It came from you. When we complained about our dry mouths, you filled our canteens with water from a rock. 
And atop the rocks of Sinai, in an amazing storm, you wrote with your very own finger beautiful commands that instruct us in your ways. You are gracious to us, O God. You revealed your name to us, sovereign in grace and mercy, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiver of sins and punisher of guilt. Oh, God, you built yourself a tent, a tabernacle, and we remember that there at the altar you took away our sins, covering them in blood that was not our blood. And yeah, that's how you were able to live among us, God. So when we cry, oh God, even though we rebelled and a whole generation was lost in the wilderness before we went into the promised land, you didn't forget us. You remembered your covenant with Abraham, the covenant of blessing of many children to cover the land and the covenant for a blessing of a land that you chose for us. I remember now, Lord, that you fought so many battles for us. When we say, oh God, we get to remember that God flattened the walls of Jericho while we not hammered at them, not got out our pickaxe and tried to take them down, not had cannons, not tied ropes to them to pull with all our might, but we marched around with a worship band and the walls came down by God's strength. And even then, he saved a prostitute in that city just to emphasize how wonderful and precious and intricate his grace is. When we say, oh God, we're crying out to the one who cleared out the land of Canaan that was full of giants, full of idol worshipers, so that we, God's people, can live, could live free in a land flowing with milk and honey. And when our enemy sends his agents of evil to do his bidding, we, like Nehemiah, get to pray to that God, the God who has done these wonderful things for his people. We say, but now, O God, strengthen my hands. Our enemy is very powerful and very real, but our God is powerfuler and realer. Satan is not the opposite of God. He was created by our God. He is under our God's authority. He is defeated by the death of Jesus on the cross, so we need not fear him, even though he is crafty and subtle and persistent. When we cry, oh God, we get to remember. When we say, oh God, we say to him, you came down humble and simple as a carpenter's son. And took away the power of the weapons of darkness by your sacrificial death on a tree. And God, you chose people like us to conquer that dark one, our enemy. You chose fishermen, tax collectors, prostitutes, bad preachers, late students. Programmers who can't figure out tomorrow's work, -work out-of-work people, mean people, sad people, people who laugh too much. You chose us all, right? 
He didn't choose the great and mighty to do this work. He chose humble people, people who know their need for a Savior, people who know they need to cry out, Oh, God, strengthen my hands. And he sets us free so that the angel of death is no threat to us because the blood of his lamb is over our door. And you know what? God is still giving us bread from heaven through his son and his word. He is still filling our mouths literally with bread. He is the one who provides it. And when we pant with thirst, he still gives us water from a rock. And that rock is Jesus Christ. When our soul thirsts in a way that nothing else will satisfy, and I'm I'm saying this from, from experience even this week, I've had those thirsts this week. I don't know how many of you are, are following along in our CBR prayer journal, City Bible reading plan that many of us are doing. Yesterday's psalm was Psalm 42. And it begins by saying, as a deer pants for water. And then he goes on to talk about, as, as a deer pants for water is how much I, I long for you. And you, I know, I've often kind of used or heard that verse used in just a normal along the way. We should always feel like that. But read the rest of the psalm, and it's like, I can't, I can't breathe because I'm so downcast. Not I'm just panting because I, I should be thirsty all the time. And nothing else will satisfy in those moments. Nothing. We talked this week a few times about like Netflix and all that, right? Like that's one of the main, the first thing most of us run to. Is some form of entertainment when we feel unsatisfied. And it doesn't work very long, does it? I mean, it, it works for a minute to kind of satisfy something. Until we taste of God's presence and His love again and we're reminded that He is, he is way, way more satisfying by His love. By His water that He provides from His rock who is Jesus. And that's the God we cry to when we say, Oh God, in our times of need. We cry to a God who still hasn't forgotten His covenant, who has actually made us His temple so that He can live among us throughout the globe. And He multiplies His goodness in us and through us, and He is doing that in your life today by faith. And He will not give up. And He is conquering our enemy today. And He's equipped us with a two-edged sword that never grows dull. The sword of the Spirit. And still today, all we have to do sometimes is sing a song, and He breaks down walls. He renews our heart. He tears down the strongholds of the enemy sometimes by just a song that we sing. But as we praise Him, He transforms us. And in the end, we remember, as we cry to God, our God, we, we are remembering that one day He'll turn this broken down globe into a perfect and holy streets paved with gold paradise. And everything sad will come untrue. Everything 
sad will come untrue. Every temptation of the enemy will be over one day. As we sang, for the, for the heart that, that makes it through, for the heart that's walking with God by faith, everything sad will come untrue in the end. And so we can have hope, we can have strength, and that's how he lifts our hands to fight this fight that we're in. I'm going to stop there, and we're going to take communion together. And today, maybe even more than we, we normally do, I'd encourage you, maybe in like a little bit smaller groups today, so you can really share with the battle that's going on in your life. And you come up just as, as friends or couples, or if, if you're here, you know, and you're new and you're not with somebody, just join in with somebody that's taking communion. If you're part of the family, we invite you to participate in this meal of remembrance. If, if your faith isn't in God, you're welcome to observe, but don't make this just a religious ritual. So as you come up and, and you think about and remember Jesus' perfect life lived for us and his sacrificial death that cleanses away our sins, just share with one another the battle that's going on in your life and ask for prayer from one another. And remember Jesus' strength to defeat our enemy. I'm going to pray before we do that. And that's how we're going to end today. So, um, you know, if you're new, maybe find someone to go out to eat with afterwards, something like that. I'm sure we'd love to invite you to join this community. And um, actually, if you're new, we have kind of a gift for you. So see me afterwards for that. Uh, Father, I know that my words are insufficient that oftentimes my faith is small uh, to, to grasp correctly the, the war that's going on and the grace that you have for us. So I pray that by your Holy Spirit right now, you would soften hearts and transform minds to trust you for strength in this battle. God, for those of us who have lived life as though there is no war and spiritual things are just made up, uh, we repent. We acknowledge that there are demons who are out to tempt and destroy what you are doing, that our flesh wages war against the Spirit, that Satan's desire is to divide your bride, and that the world is, is groaning against your work oftentimes. So, Lord, when that, when that war hits home for some of us, we are, we are tempted to be overwhelmed. But help us now to realize that, that we need not fear, we need not be overwhelmed, and in your presence there is joy. There is hope. And everything good is found in you and comes from you. 
So fill our mouths with the bread and the water of of your life-giving Son and sustain us throughout the week as we go and fight the good fight of faith. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.